Here we go. This, this is all, is about, all wine. about wine. Auction dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do in this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast. And around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about That's www.facebook.com forward slash all about And now, all about is on. Here's one. Thank you, thank you, thank you, bus people. They got to keep moving because they're so cold. It is. Yeah. And uh, I, I think we need to stop uh, giving them the uh, party favors. Uh, what do they call those things? The noisemakers? I think we need to stop giving oh, those. They're, they're yeah. getting a little carried away. Um, yeah, they have been. They yeah, that's true. Um, so maybe maybe next one. Uh, yeah, well, you know, to... we had those left over from from the big all about wine uh, New Year's mm-hmm. Eve party, and so we figured we'd go ahead and give them to them, and get yeah. rid of them. Yeah. Yep. I never been to uh, Burgundy, France before. That was uh, that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know. Yeah. All that well, coordinated. The, and... We got the private jet yeah. up and running again for all about wine, and uh, it's you know, we figured we'd. Into end of the year trip over there, so that was fun. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Video coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, people know that's not true because they listen to our production value and they say, "Well, if they got a private jet, why don't they put more money into the show?" <laughs> That's just we put so much into travel and and you know travel expenses that we don't have money for for production. There you go. Uh, that's so, that's, a two that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. But yeah, the bottom line we have to get rid of those noisemakers. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. almost as irritating as the whistler. They're expensive. They're like a dollar for for you know twenty of them, and uh, it's just ridiculous to pay that kind of money every every week for those noisemakers. And um, you know we could save a buck uh, and Literally. pass it. Yeah, that's good. Good point. Good point. And they, you know, and the worst thing about it is they don't take them with them. We don't have our logo on them. We don't have our name on them. They're just generic yeah. ones, and they don't take them with them. They just throw them down on the ground. And exactly, what a yeah. waste! It's like take them with it, use them, use them, uh, you know, next year. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You know, or if you come visit us again, just say, I, I, "Thank you, I have one." Yeah, but no. 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 Well. Yeah. yeah. People. Yeah. So well thanks for tuning in to All About Wine. This is live on January the eleventh, twenty twenty four at seven oh three PM Eastern Standard Time. And you've got Mike and Ron and this is all about wine. So we covered the call signals and everything there uh, just information night nothing exciting happening or anything we got uh, you know I'm a sports fan I mention it quite often and I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan because I was born and raised there they're playing in cold cold weather it's only supposed to be like 18 degrees at game time and so uh, they're uh, really really going to be cold there and the players are going to be running around bouncing off each other and all that but the poor people in the stands burr i mean you cannot dress up warm enough to really keep off that cold if you're just sitting there so best of luck to the people in the stands 
And Kansas City's quite upset, <laughs> too. What's that? I was just saying it's the people in the stands, you know, the the ones that are in the lower seats, you know, yeah, they paid a little bit more, but man, they, they do have some, some blockage there. You know, they they don't have to worry about that wind, but it's the people that are, I don't know, 1200 feet up in the air in the upper, <laughs> upper features. <laughs> That's true. None at all. They're supposed to put heaters around the stadium. I just read something too, that they're going to be putting heaters around the stadium. Uh, you know, yeah, just so you can get close to them and warm up. So uh, that yeah. will help. But uh, yeah. they, uh, <laughs> good luck. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it cold. It's going to be cold. Game. Oh, and people in Kansas City are upset too because the show is only on Peacock. It's not on anything what? else. Yeah, it's only on Peacock. That, and wow. they're, you know, Peacock paid the money, and so they get the show. And the people in Kansas City are saying, wait a minute, we can't afford to go to the game because playoff tickets are expensive. And okay. we always like to watch it on TV, but now you're blocking us basically from watching it on TV unless we get a subscription to Peacock. And so mm. people are really, really quite upset about the whole thing there. So... Uh, yeah, you can't blame them. I mean, it's it is it's a money thing. Yeah, they let it's the, a money thing. The paid network uh, purchase the rights to it. And now you have to pay to pay, you know, to watch on the paid network, and yeah, it's ridiculous. It is. So uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Chiefs fans uh, around the around the country, and a lot of uh, Miami Dolphin fans are all really complaining ever since that was announced. So, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, I've got Peacock. I've had Peacock, so I'll be able to watch it. But that's not a not a comfort to my sister, who is a big cheese fan. She lives in Kansas City, and she's complained to me a couple times already. So, oh, uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, Okay. Uh, what do we got tonight? We got different odds and ends for you tonight. Nothing, nothing exciting. But let's see. Uh, is this it? I think it might be. If I get on the right page here. Uh, what is this? Uh, well, no, that's. Not what I'm looking for. Had a winery that I wanted to tell you about that has. Where is it? I need to find them. Uh, let's see. Is this somebody here? It's a live show, folks. It's a live yeah, show. Yeah, it is. It's a, oh. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Okay, here it is. Yes. Um, oh. Walsh Vineyard. I've mentioned Walsh Vineyard every once in a while to you. Walsh Vineyard is located in Mannheim, Pennsylvania on 1599 Old Line Road, Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Shoot, no phone number here for them. But they're coming out with their dinner, the menu and all that, so you can book it early. It's going to be February the 9th at Bent Creek Creek, Bent Creek Country Club, and Livitz on February the 9th. Uh, the says, welcome with a glass of Simeon, appetizers and stagel rosé, salad and Sauvignon Blanc, seafood and Kissel Valley Chardonnay, beef tenderloin and Greenside Reserve, and chocolate desserts and Red Rock. So there you go. I mean, they're having, well, you're starting out with a glass of Simeon that's just so you can have one. And then they go on one, two, three, four, five more wines with five different courses. That is really exciting. Uh, It says the tickets are, and I just clicked on the get tickets. 
$150 a person for all guests. Uh, and tastings of six waltz wines mingle with the winemakers. And then I just read you the the uh, menu. And it is February 9th, uh, 5.30 to 11.30, is that right? It looks like it, 5.30 to 11.30. So $150 per person. Wow, that can get expensive to take the wife. So, Walsh Vineyards. Five-course meal. That's not too yeah, bad. Yeah, five-course meal, and, you know, I get them. I was just... Yeah, but it's still... I can, um, you know, I, I, I memorize uh, phone numbers for just everything. Uh, I no, believe no, you, they you are 717-664-5600. 717, uh, if I remember correctly. There you go. Uh, strictly from memory, 717-664-9463. That's Waltz Vineyards Estate Winery, like you said, on Old Line Road in Mannheim, uh, Steamroller, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's not steamroller. Man, I, don't look up steamroller. <laughs> I think steamroller every time I say the name too, but it's not. <laughs> I got that wrong. Uh, Manheim, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Manheim, Pennsylvania. So, so uh, yeah, it's uh, thank you. You can give them a call and make your reservation. So that's as simple as that. And let's see, do I? Have another winery here? I thought I did. Uh, I guess not. Huh. Well, maybe I misplaced the winery. I could have. Hmm. Oh, well. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Information. Oh, there it is. Okay, Tassel Ridge. I knew I had it somewhere here. Tassel Ridge. We always got Tassel Ridge. Tassel Ridge is located in Iowa, and it's in the southeast corner of Iowa. You've all heard me talk this enough times. You probably know most of these addresses anyway. Uh, located in Leighton, or Leighton, Iowa, 1681, 220th Street, and uh, it's uh, south east of Pella, Iowa, and northwest of Oskaloosa. And if you're in that part of the country, you know where that stuff is, basically. They are having a... Uh, their wood-fired calzones and wood-fired pizzas coming up. Calzones on the 19th, Friday night. Pizzas on the 26th. Reservations required for all that. Uh, they have a special bottle, uh, Sweetheart's Rosé release, and it is in a heart-shaped bottle. Really pretty cool. It The bottle has the bottom that it sits on a stand, but then the, it's shaped like a heart. And it says Sweetheart's on it, right? Great big. And then it says Rosé, a little bit smaller, but it's there. But very nice. 500 milliliter bottle priced at $25. And what a great, great Valentine gift. So that has been released. You can get that. And plus any other other wines. I got a whole bunch of different wines there. Uh, okay. Oh, here's a quiz for you. Uh, the ideal glass for wine tasting is a glass or crystal in a variety of colors, B, plain, clear glass or crystal, C, high-quality glasses with elaborate etchings, or D, 10-ounce tumbler? And the answer is, we all know the answer to that. We really don't need to look at that, do we? Is the Plain, clear glass or crystal. You don't want anything to hide the wine because you want to look at the color. You want to look at the well, the legs. You want to look at the edge of the wine and all that good stuff. And if it's a colored glass or an etched glass or any of that other pretty things to do the glasses, then 
you've lost an opportunity. So a plain, clear glass or crystal is the, the answer to that, and the ideal choice if you're going to taste wine. So uh, Tassel Ridge, I've talked about them many times. They've they got some pretty nice wines there. They're located in southeast Iowa, and there hasn't been too much bad weather there. So you're wide open to make a trip there if you're anywhere in the area. Uh, snows haven't really accumulated and gotten bad there yet, so you're in pretty good shape right now. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what is, okay, regenerative winemaking, regenerative agriculture, uh, regenerative is something that's really popular now. I get a email from Regenerative Organic website every, about every week, maybe even more than that. And they uh, send me one, but this one here is, is pretty interesting. They've got some pretty interesting stuff in it that I uh, found fascinating, if you will. The um, uh, Regenerative Organic Certified is a commitment to not use the chemicals, is to take care of the ground and everything, just like a step above organic, a step below biodynamic. Okay, it's between those two there, if you will. But these numbers are the ones that have really fascinated me. Uh, California is the number one organic state in the nation with the most organic farms, acres, and sales. Well, yeah, because they're the biggest as far as wine goes. I'm sure they have the most, uh, unless some state wants to go completely, but that's understandable. Organic sales increased 16% between 20 and 21, and it hit a record $14 billion. $14 billion. Uh, and more than 90% of California households purchased organic products on a regular basis. With California's investment of nearly $20 million in an organic transition, organic research and technical assistance, and organic system plan development, organic certification is accessible to producers across the state. So they're getting behind it. California's doing a good job of getting behind this organic uh, regenerative organic movement, and I got to give them credit for that. It's, it does make a difference in the wines they're saying, and it uh, is showing in the ones that are doing it how how many is taken over and how many is doing it. They go on with a lot of other statistics here, and of course they got <coughs> excuse me, they got numbers to back it up. Uh, so. Uh, but it's, it helps with the uh, uh, control of pests and uh, helps pollinators and it helps the soil and all that other stuff when they do all this stuff. So it's a good thing. Uh, if you're interested in getting this email, which, you know, I get it, I read through it, I glance through it sometimes, I read through it and all that. But if you're interested in getting this email, you can go to... Uh, Regen Organic, that's R-E-G-E-N-O-R-G-A-N-I-C, regenorganic.org, or go to info at regenorganic.org and sign up for their email. Pretty interesting stuff. Tells you quite a bit of stuff about your the movement, the regenerative organic movement and what it all involves. And it talks about stuff all the time on that. So uh, give it a try and sign up for it. See what you can, <clears throat> excuse me, see what you can find. My voice is terrible tonight. I've been talking a lot all day and it is horrible. Okay. Uh, We've got a 
well, I'm going to tell you, we got a guest next week, and an interesting book he wrote, uh, The Wine List. So tune in next week, share all about that. And then on February 1st, we've got a confirmed guest. So we're getting the guest back after the first of the year now. What made me think of that? I'm on the page here with, with uh, that I've been writing to him. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, wine Spectator has their wine value of 2023. Their number one wine value of 2023. I cannot give you the top 10 because it comes out tomorrow. And we just missed it by one day. But they'll have the 2023 wine, top 10 wine values coming out tomorrow. But the number one wine value of the year is the Lacrima Pinot Noir out of Sonoma. It is the Lacrima Pinot Noir Sonoma Coast 2021. It scored 91 points and it is only $28, which is really a great price. I, the, I've had a Lacrima. Lacrima makes some great wines. I really am always impressed with their wines. And so if you're interested uh, that is the number one wine, uh, value wine, not the number one wine, but the number one value wine by Wine Spectator. Uh, it says the uh, tasting oats, a mix of loganberry and damson plum. Okay, well, plum. Uh, I lied to a bright, racy frame with a nice, piercing, savory thread running through the finish. Drink now through 2028. It's a Pinot Noir. If you're not familiar with Pinot Noirs, this is a great way to get yourself started on them. And at, well, you get yourself started on this, you'll be disappointed on most of them after this. This is really, uh, I've had the, like I said, the cream and wines before, and I've had their Pinot Noir. Not this vintage, but I've had different vintages, and they've always been outstanding. Not, Not at all disappointing, so... Something to check out there. 2023 values of the year. Uh, nope, a blank page. I clicked on 2023 values of the year and it's blank. Coming out next week. Or tomorrow, not next week, but tomorrow. So that takes care of that. But the, check out the La Crema 2021 Pinot Noir. That is, that is very nice wine. Here's another thing I want to tell you about that's really interesting. 18 terrific taco and wine pairings. This is picked out by wine pros. Taco and wine. I never really considered having wine with tacos too much because there's such a uh, a diversity of taste in tacos. You have the meat, you have the lettuce, you have the tomatoes, you have a little bit of everything there. So uh, this... Uh, David Gordon, who is a wine director at Grand Award-winning Trebeca uh, Grill in New York City, says that a Petite Syrah would go great. Uh, petite Syrah made with organic grapes from Lodi would go great with a steak taco. Uh, Morgan Faust, wine director of Galatories in New Orleans, suggested a Gruner Weltliner, which is a German white wine to go with your seafood tacos. I've never had a seafood taco. I don't know. They scare me. And uh, he said he would also choose an Alvarino to go with the seafood if you're going to squirt limes and stuff on it. Kyle South, a sommelier at Addison's in San Diego. Uh, who is also a New Mexico native, suggests a, let me find it on the list here, uh, a Mueller Schwarzhofberger Cabinet, which is another white wine with a hint of sweetness to it uh, and a little bit of spice. He said that goes well with your tacos also. Boy, they're, they're jumping out into different areas I've never Never thought of this. He, he's suggesting that with a spicy green chili Rilano taco. A German reasoning from Moselle. Wow. 
Tristan Petra from Stonehouse is uh, two favorites he's suggesting are the um, a blend of Gamay, Pinot Noir, and Guadé, uh American Interpretation of the Classic Lure blend, and with Tonkos. Pairs well with some Al Pastor if you're looking for a good time. Well, I don't know what an Al Pastor is, and so therefore I can't help you on that. Next one, Simon Roberts from the Tango Room in Dallas. Uh, yeah, this way he says tacos go in a lot of different flavor profile directions. So that's what I suggested. He's saying a crisp Pinot Grigio would be a good pick. I can see that now. I That, I can really I can get into that. Uh, Danielle Kuznets from the San Francisco Wine Society is saying chicken tacos. You should open up a Vino Verde, uh, uh, a uh, wine from Vino Verde glass of Barrero de Hospitable Laureo. I destroyed that, didn't I? Uh, for uh, carnitas and fried tacos, uh, Bollinger uh, would be uh, champagne would be good with that. And he says champagne goes good with anything fried. Ah. Uh, Hunter Ham uh, from Potter, uh, Porter's in College Station, Texas, is suggesting a Brunello uh, as his go-to wine, which is about anything, which would include tacos and calantra and lime and beef and all that good stuff. And Brian Hyder, wine director of Grand Award-winning Pluckman Inn in New Jersey, is saying that a, another champagne here would go well with tacos. They pair it with a crispy fried chicken tacos. So uh, there you go. There are some ideas to go with your tacos. I never considered wine. I could definitely get into uh maybe a champagne that would that would be interesting a champagne with uh any number of tacos or fried food like the one suggested or uh something along the lines of some rieslings uh not real sweet rieslings but some rieslings ah, interesting opens opens the eyes up at the possibilities on those so those are things um something to look at another event for you here uh widely acclaimed as one of america's premier culinary extravaganzas it's the food network south beach wine and food festival and this is presented by capital one is abbreviated s-o-b-e-w-f-f for South Beach Wine and Food Festival, S-O-B-E, South Beach. Um, it's going to be February the 22nd through the 25th. This four-day event serves as a global stage for the culinary elite featuring top chefs, culinary personalities, and esteemed wine and spirit producers. The festival supports the mission to eat, drink, and educate in collaboration with the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Florida International University. You can visit it at S. Wait a minute, I just clicked on something. S O B E W F F to get tickets and look at it. It's spread out on the beach and all around there and all that. Uh, I've never been to this. It's pretty cool. I've people who have been to it, and so, and they did nothing but praise about it. Uh, one of the guys used to work with uh, attended it, and he said that it was really just a ball. It's four days long, 105 events from burgers to fine dining. 500 experts. You have Food Network stars and celebrities and people on TikTok from TikTok and sommeliers and all sorts of stuff. And it's raised 37 plus million dollars that helps proceeds benefit the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. 
So it's quite the event uh, taking place on the beach and up and down around the area there, South Beach, Mid Beach, North Beach, all that area. So it is a fun time. How much, you ask? Well, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Where is the ticket? Here's the ticket. Uh, ticket tickets say uh, if you have to ask you can't afford it what is, why don't they all they have well they list all the people who's going to be at this thing and it seems like they're just taking everybody from the food network and all the what is there two or three different food network things there seems like they're taking everybody from all of those and you bring them down to Miami for this event. There is just a list and list and list of people for this here. So it's a lot of personalities and tickets. So here we go. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's, got, it's broken down in all sorts of different things. Uh, all the events, $100 and under events, new events. Oh, geez, just everything. I I just want to, here's packages. What would package tickets be? Uh, packages, build your own package, bundle now and save 15 to 25%. Grand tasting package. I don't know how much tickets are. Put a whole bunch of money in your wallet and go down there. I, they've got all sorts of things going on here. It's just unbelievable. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all events. Let's see uh, if they have a uh, any type of price for all events. No, they do not because there's so many so many different types of all events. Uh, whoa. You got speakers. You can choose between different speakers and different chefs. Wow! Go to that website. Check it out. I'm I'm sitting here telling you all about it. But it's fun to peruse through it anyway. The website anyway. S O B E W F F dot org, and that'll take you there, and you can look at the whole thing yourself. Quite a bit of people down there, quite a bit of stuff going on and all that. That is coming up February the 21st, or 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No. Thursday, 22nd. Friday, 23rd. Saturday, 24th. And Sunday, the 25th. So a lot of neat events and a lot of neat things going on there. February. That's a month away. So you have time to get your plans together for that. Uh, something else I noticed here, which was strange, champagne and Korean fried chicken. Hmm. Hey, gives you something to think about there anyway. And then, you know, their wine of the year, which I just told you about the wine of the year, but I don't know their top ten until tomorrow. So that doesn't do us any good. Uh, let's see what else I got uh, on this page. Okay, I think this page is taken care of. We can go back and talk about some of this stuff now. Uh, got some highlights here. Uh, so don't be afraid of Napa and Sonoma's smoke vintage. Three years ago when they had all the fires and everything in Napa, uh, the skies were orange with smoke. It was unbelievable how bad it got out there. And so they're saying on this article, don't be afraid of them. The chance of smoke events is pretty slim now if you find a bottle from 2020. It's been worked with, it's been played with, uh, and the whites particularly, you, you can be pretty safe. The reds are the ones that are going to be more smoke-tainted than anything because the skin will pick up the flavors of the smoke and impart it into the wine. But otherwise, 
there's this article. This is also a wine enthusiast article saying the 2020 vintage is a small one, but you should be able to find yourself some great wines coming out of 2020. Uh, if there is smoke in it, they didn't make wines. And so, therefore, the ones that you're going to find are going to be ones that they detected no smoke. And so you're not going to be stuck with uh, wines that are with smoke taint. So look for them. Uh, 2020 vintage of California Napa, particularly in Sonoma. Uh, you can get yourself some decent wines there for under $20 and not have any problems with uh having smoke in it and all that although some of them are hard to detect before until they've been in the bottle for a while but hey uh in fact they have a list of wines here that are smoke taintless 2020 nap and sonoma cabernets and the first one they have listed here is Cathard Vineyard 2020 Cabernet Sauvignon out of Napa Valley for $440. 97 points, though. It should be a great wine. Uh, here's a Lewis 2020 Cab from Napa, $120. A Turnbull, 110 And then they've got others, which, you know, vary in price. A Stag's Leap. Cabernet Sauvignon for 57 That's really a pretty decent buy. Stag's Leap really puts out some pretty good wines. Uh, Whitehall for 56 Stag's Leap uh, 2020 Artemis for 95 And, uh, oh, William Hill Estate 2020 Cabernet Sauvignon out of Napa Valley, 92 points for $16. That is a really good buy there. And then they go on, they list others here and all that stuff. There's a 91-point Jackson Estate for $20. These are all Cabernet Sauvignons, by the way. Another Roots Run Deep Winery, uh, $20. And Francis Ford Coppola Director's Cut, $23. So, uh, there, you know, pretty pretty good prices on those down there for Napa and the names that they have behind them. So check those out if you if you're interested in some decent cabernets. Uh, <laughs> the Ukraine. We all know about the war. We all know about Russia invading. And we know, you know, Ukraine is standing up for themselves and they're battling back. But the wine industry is holding its own. It's still together. It's still making wine. Uh, like a winemaker here says, the vines don't care whether there is a war or not. They still need tinting, harvesting, and processing on schedule. And so the workers have been doing it. He said, uh, aircraft flying over their heads, bombs being dropped close by, and they're still making wines. Uh, Bikush Winery is one of them, Chateau Chesney, uh, Stack Hovisk Wines. These are all different wineries that are still making wines. They're saying against all the odds, they're putting it together, and they're coming out with some decent wines there. And so... Uh, there's, uh, what did they say, 110 wineries that cost 36,600 hectares. Uh, equivalent, they say, to the Piedmont planting. There are five very big estates and a lot of real tiny producers. But the majority of them produce between 20,000 and 60,000 bottles a year, which is really pretty decent output. Um, Odessa, Odessa has become the largest and most important wine region following Russia's 2014 invasion of Crimea, uh, which until then that was the largest wine producing area. Uh, so uh, you can still find some decent Ukrainian wines. They're still putting them out, still working on them. Uh, they are using stainless steel amphoras, which is um, 
terracotta, if you will, uh, no, cement. Oak barrels from France, Sylvania, and Ukraine uh, using all sorts of innovation and everything to get these wines out and to get them out well. They are really coming out with some good wines by all judges and people who have had them. I hate to say by the people who are making them because the people who are making them are always excited about what they're doing, but these have been peer-reviewed, and they're really getting some good reviews. Um, a new wine you established near Cave it produces three biodynamic wines from a range of a variety of different blends and stuff like that. And so uh, they're even able to go biodynamic there. So um, Ukraine, uh, Chardonnay 2022, pleasantly oaked, fruit forward. Uh, here's a Cabernet Sauvignon 2022 that's uh, full body, dark, fruit charged. And uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I was looking at a picture here. Uh, it shows Prince Trebetsky Winery in the Ukraine uh, in 2021. Then it shows in 2023, two years after the invasion, and it's, it's been bombed out and deserted now. Um, I was just looking at the two pictures here. Uh, that is obviously no longer in production. But lots of decent wines coming out of the Ukraine. I don't know if we see any here in the States or not. I'm sure we do. I'm sure we can find Ukrainian wines around the States here. Uh, when they're making that many bottles, I don't think it's limited to just European Union areas. I think we are going to get some here. I mean, we're sending them enough money for bullets, they should send us cases of wine. I, I think it's only fair. So, if you see any, if you try any, uh, I'll start looking for them more now, too. But if you see any and you try any, drop me a note. Let me know what they're like. Uh, if you found them and all that, uh, please. I always ask for people to drop me a note on that stuff, and they never do. But if you do try Ukrainian wines, please let me know and what they're like. And if I happen to find any, I'll share with you uh, the quality and what they were like also. The world's most expensive Proseccos. Yeah, well, Prosecco, Champagne, eh, not as good as, and they're usually a little bit cheaper. Also, Prosecco's screaming at England now, and they're saying, you know, you guys quit calling your Champagnes or your sparkling wines Proseccos. And they are. They keep calling them Proseccos, and it's upsetting Italy because it's well stepping on their stepping on their feet there. Oh, well, my engineer finally brought me a wine for tonight, and the evening's almost over. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and this is a bread and butter Cabernet Sauvignon 2021. 13.5% alcohol by volume. That is the only thing on the front label. I love the minimalist attitude that some of these wineries take when they do that stuff. Uh, it is, uh, boy, she does something that drives me nuts when people do that. Take the corkscrew, stick the corkscrew right through the capsule and pull it out and just you know, rip up the capsule as they're pulling it out. And that just drives me a little bit insane when people do that. Uh, if you do it, then don't. Okay, there you go. Now, that pours more evenly now. This says, vented and bottled by bread and butter in Napa, California. Classic California Cabernet Sauvignon with hints of rich vanilla, toasted oak, and mocha. Perfect when enjoyed with good food and company. Uh, www.breadandbutterwines.com. Government warning, California Cabernet Sauvignon contains sulfide, 13.5% alcohol by volume, 750 milliliter. That's it. Very, like I say, very minimalistic. 
label. They don't fancy it up or anything. Let's see. Let me give you a, a review on this. Uh, my review. Oh, I love that aroma. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the classic Cabernet aroma just really jumps out in the initial, initial smell there. Let's swirl it a little bit more just to... Oh, yeah, that's very good. It's not real dark, but it's... Mm, I took the initial taste there, too. Uh, it's not real dark, but it's dark enough. It's about, you know, Cabernet. Maybe a little bit lighter than some Cabernets. Uh... Let's see what else am I picking up in the room. I always uh well, I'm, I'm I'm getting Cabernet, but I'm not getting any any fruits or anything. I usually pick up different fruits in a Cabernet and I'm not getting it so much yet. There it's opening up a little bit. Okay, a little bit of blackberry, hints of blackberry. Cherries. Cabernets always look for plum, and I'm not getting any plum in this. That's surprising. Okay. Where is the vanilla? That is. It's oh, here they say hints of vanilla, and I am getting vanilla now. I can picture can picture what it was, but that is a vanilla aroma. Yeah, definitely. Once I realized what it was, it's very noticeable. And the second sip. Oh, very good. Mouth filling. Coats the tongue nicely. Just enough tannins to do that. The acid is well balanced with it, with the flavors. It's not so bitey that you shiver. Uh, good balance between the acids and the flavor. And uh, it's got a good... Uh, oh, that vanilla is really starting to come out more and more. A good vanilla and it tastes too. Uh, more so than I did in the aroma. The vanilla is coming out a lot in that. That's probably from the barrels, oak barrels. The... Uh, Wine overall. Finish isn't real long, but it's good. Uh, legs, I always like to tell you about the legs. Uh, decent legs. Not real fast, but not super slow. And a good, uh, good distribution of legs around the glass. Where I've swirled it. So, overall, very good. Bread and butter. I don't know the price. I told you I'd start writing down these prices to let you know, and I just haven't done it. Uh, it's um, Bread and Butter Cabernet Sauvignon 2021. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, really a pretty decent wine overall. Very, very enjoyable wine. i got to pour myself some more here because engineer will come in here and snatch the bottle. And uh, then I won't have my extra pour there. Prosecco. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Prosecco is not really that expensive. The world's most expensive Prosecco, this is according to Wine Searcher, uh, scores of 90, uh, 89, 88, 87, 90, 90. Prices range from $40 down to $24. Last two here are scores of 90 and 26 and 24. And so $40 for the first place one. Uh, wow. The champagne, you go and get a Dom Perignon P3 Plentitude Brut Rosé, and that's currently sitting at $5,516. So, as I've said before, you want a great alternative. Prosecco is your choice here. 
and they're trying they're yelling at New England to tell them to quit calling or not New England England calling your sparking wines proseccos. So there we go. Most expensive proseccos are really pretty cheap. The May frost in New York did it take its toll? I don't know. This just kicked me out of this. Well, all right with you. Uh, I was, let me find, I have an article before we go here that I want to tell you about that I thought this was very interesting. Old Vine. You've seen, I'm sure, wines that say Old Vine or uh, French equivalent of Vélez Venez, V-I-E-I-L-L-E-S, Vélez, V-I-G-N-E-S, Venez, uh, I think French, if it's in the consonant, you don't pronounce it, so maybe it's, that's Vélez Venez, uh, which is old vine, this term's old vine. What is old vine? You, you've seen it. I know you have. I've talked about it. I talked about having wines that say old vine on it, and I like old vine. And this is a great article here to explain it. So let me tell you about this. What is old vine? Uh, Viniculturists uh, uh, sing praises of old vines, and... Uh, claim that the fruit hangs on the older vines better. It gives you deeper flavors. It's the uh, nuances of the old vine over the younger vines. All these things. Age creates complexities is, is the word among them. But how old are old vines? What is the age limit? And there is no definition. Actually, legally, there is no definition of what an old vine is. In France... One producer may consider 20-year-old vines as old vines, while another may use the term for vines that are older than 70. So, yeah, you can't tell. In South Africa, the Old Vine Project certifies vineyards that are 35 years old or older as an old vine. Australia's Barossa region is really the only area that has a some semblance to an official definition, but it's still a voluntarily uh, designation, and therefore you don't, or you, you know, you can do what you want. But it classifies old vine as those that are at least 35 years old, and it goes on to, to classify survivor vines as those that have made it past 70. Centurion vines as those over obviously a hundred and ancestor vines as those over 125 years old and yes they have those in australia uh, so the, these are designations that they have in the brochure but it's not you, you don't have to follow those most people make the wine from those vineyards as single vineyard wines so uh, if they're blended, you have to use the youngest designation. Uh, so if it's, you use a, 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 or an ancestor vine and it's blended with a survivor vine, you have to call it survivor. And so, you know, that's the way to, well, that's the rules down there. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you got California Historic Vineyard Society maintains a registry of heritage vineyards. And to earn a spot on this list, you uh, have to currently be producing Golden State vineyards from an original planting date of at least 50 years ago. Which isn't that far. That's the mid-60s. All right. And then a minimum of one-third of the producing vines trace back to that initial cultivation. So one-third of them. So if you planted vines in 1962 and they're still producing, one-third of that harvest can be blended with something from 2021. And according to this, you call it old vine. 
which doesn't seem right. Uh, the half-century mark was chosen as California's cutoff because it was inspired by the 50-year rule in American historic preservation, which the 50-year rule stipulates that historically significant properties younger than 50 years are usually deemed ineligible for National Register of Historic Places. So the decision to put wine at the 50-year point was the organization's, you know, based on that. Uh, so the 1960s was when vines were changed from the trellising and uh, later drip irrigation. And before that, the vineyards in California were head trained and dry farmed, which means you, you didn't have irrigation on them. But how old, how do old vines differ from young wines or vines? And it's a matter of what sets them apart from the younger vines, the old vines are the deep roots. That's really more than anything. As a grapevine grows, its roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. As it's growing up top, the roots grow down lower. I mean, that basically is with every crop. But grapevines really search for water. They're vines. And since back in the 60s, in a lot of places in the world, they weren't doing drip irrigation. So therefore, the grapevines themselves had to look for a water source. To do this, they sent their roots down, and they were searching through all sorts of stuff. And they find a water source, and they would be there. I mean, these things were rooted deep. Some areas had very little water. And they were also going through a lot of different soils and stuff to get to that water. And so there was no no drip irrigation. They had to find the water themselves. And so it created deeper roots, a a different aspect of terror, I guess you would say, because it was digging down deeper. And so the old vines were planted before deep irrigation, uh, or before drip irrigation. They were going deep to get it. Then they started drip irrigation, where they put lines through all the vineyards, and it would drip onto the plant. And you can get any number of amount of water uh, it drips onto your plant. When I had the vineyard, I started out with a very small drip irrigation. And, well, not real small. I started out with a somewhat small drip irrigation. And as the weather and range changed, I went around and I changed them to an even smaller one because I didn't need that much water. But I still need to water them because in the summertime here, we do get hot and all that. So that does make a difference. Your Your drip irrigation keeps your plant going. So young vines, on the other hand, tend to be vigorous and highly productive up to about the 10 to 15 year mark. And then depending on how they're pruned and maintained, yields start to decline. Okay, most wineries rip them out at that point, replant them to assure that they're getting as much fruit as possible. And that's usually as a vine gets older, it doesn't produce as much fruit, but it is said to produce uh, more quality fruit? I don't know, because Dr. Dylan Grigg, a viticulture consultant who studies old vines, has found the opposite. He said, we found in the Barossa that older vines had more fruit in some cases. These vines were producing quality fruit past the 20 or even 30 year mark, had likely been carefully looked after, were well selected, and have been planted in a fitting location. And the vine's ability to weather stress and change in their surroundings also helped. So this is old vine. Another reason old vines are more resilient than young ones, they have potential to store more carbohydrates, which can potentially buffer environmental shifts like heat waves, frosty springs, and droughts. proven that it does that, but potentially. Old vines, 
iron out the ups and downs of the season, said Griggs. They stick to it in terms of yield and growth. So old vines will combat the climate, the weather, the water, all that stuff, and get what they need in the water. They'll stick their roots down there, find something to order themselves. If they don't need it and there's a bunch of water on the top, they don't drink it up. There, it's just overall old vines have learned how to survive themselves and survive well. So do old vines taste better? Most agree that old vines are more complex with better color and higher acidity. That's really the bottom line for most professionals. But there's a lot of speculation of why. Uh, a lot of them think it's because that old vines produce smaller berry size, which then concentrates a higher ratio of tannins. But then, as Professor Griggs actually found, that some of the older vines had larger berries than younger vines. The old vines that produce larger berries do so perhaps because they're less stressed, and so they've adapted to the climate and the growing conditions. Tannin levels are generally about the same at old and young vines uh, when they're the same variety and grown in the same area, same place. However, sensory panels have shown that vines made from the fruit of older vines tend to have more red fruit notes, while younger vines lead to wines with more blue fruit notes. Still, these differences are hard to break down scientifically. So, what does it mean, red fruit notes and blue fruit notes? It, not a lot, because scientifically, they really can't give you an answer. Greg says, Greg says, there's something in there that our palates can pick up on. It's like there are more pixels in older vines than younger vines. So, didn't help you a lot, does it? But old vines are out there. You can find them all over the place. Uh, there's uh, a whole bunch of different ones. Not, you know, there's a, here's a Grenache from uh, uh, from France, old vine, uh, Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley. Uh, here's a old vine Zimadel from Mendocino. Old vine Zimadels are usually my favorite. Uh, old vine Red, uh, non-vintage California one. There's an old vine Chenin Blanc, a white wine uh, from Yakima Valley. Uh, some French ones, uh, old vine 2019 uh, Premier Cru. Uh, old vine 2021. Uh, where is this from? I don't know. I can't read the French. I don't know where that's from. Australian wines. Uh, Thistledown 2021 Grenache from McLaren Vale, uh, one from Barossa 2018 Grenache. There's a Spanish one, a 2022 Old Vine from uh, Vaderas, and 2021 Zesta Mavar Old Vine, uh, Vinos de Atlantico. Uh, ooh, here's another Spanish one, Bodegos Nikias 2020, uh, Grenache, uh, Grenache, Old Vine, uh, uh, Volver 2021, Tarima Hill, Old Vine, Monastrel, or Alicante. One's out of Puerto Rico, here's a 2019 Red of the Duro, another Duro. 2020 uh, Vina de Francisco Red, South Africa, uh, Chenin Blanc, 2022. So there are old vine from all over the place. But just remember, any of them, uh, there's no standard, no standard for old vine anywhere. I mean, old vine could be... Uh, a 20-year-old vine that they didn't rip out when it's 15 years old because it wasn't producing, it could mean anything anywhere. So uh, if you're into old vines, and really old vines, you might look for ones that have a standard. And I 
sort of like the ones from Barroso, Australia, the way they set that up. <coughs> so, so there you go. Uh, have yourself a, a good week and enjoy wine, and we're done for tonight. All right. Uh, we will be back next uh, Thursday, which is uh, January the 18th, with a special guest. I believe you mentioned it at the beginning of the show. Um, so we'll have him, the author of The Wine List, and um, give you some more information as well as the show, uh, before the show starts. So uh, tune in for tune in live next Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Facebook and X Twitter and BTR, but uh, Blog Talk Radio and uh, wherever wherever this show wherever, is, yeah, yeah, wherever else we happen so, to pop up on, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, check it out. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Have a great week and uh, weekend ahead. Be safe, and we'll talk to you uh, after uh, well next Thursday. Thank you. Have yeah. a good day. Be safe. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Flightlineradio.com. Tune in. Oh. <laughs> I forgot to mention it. Yeah, I really did. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, we're, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, cool. All right, let me go to, uh, I just turn some. That's off. Yeah, it's disconnected. All right. Uh, Yep, uh, green room and...